Today we're going to be having a look at a Premier League Classic, which I'll come on to in a couple of minutes. Last week, and thanks to all those that tuned in now to listen, uh, really appreciate it because this is a, a nice new way to be enjoying football with mates during quarantine and isolation, um, was England 1, Australia 3, which was a, a terrible night for England, um, trying to experiment with uh, a little bit of new blood in the second half, uh, when they were already 2-0 down to to, to Australia, who virtually played with nothing to lose and uh, took took the scalps of um, some top quality players. Um, I got some good feedback with the episode, so uh, really grateful for that uh, and really appreciative of uh, some of the, the nice words that came through. And a couple of people also saying that they're interested in uh, coming and coming along as well, which it's going to be really nice to catch up with a few mates and uh, share a couple of classic matches as well. Anyway, on to this game. Um, it's a Premier League classic, no doubt about that. Plenty, plenty of talent on show and a few sort of legacy 90s footballers still hanging around as well. Um, it's a tasty match at times. Some of the tackles flying in from uh, Stefan Frond and the like uh, uh, would definitely see red uh, today uh, by today's Premier League refereeing standards. Uh, and VAR would certainly have a thing or two to say about that as well. It's a right trip down memory lane for me because at this time, uh, at this time, City had done their back-to-back promotions, were in the Premier League, but weren't doing too well. Uh, And I remember it was a a slightly drab Saturday afternoon where I tuned into Radio 5 Live at Butlin Skegness. And uh, we were on a family holiday, except my little sister, who was all not but one at the time, if memory serves, uh, needed her afternoon nap. So back to the chalet that we went and uh, tuned into 5 Live. And as City were going down, to uh, Wimbledon, I think at Sellers Park. I think we lost 3-0 that day. Uh, United were also going down to, to Spurs. Uh, <laughs> the bitter blue within me, and I like to think I've moved on a bit a bit from uh, that mindset now. The bitter blue within me was uh, was thinking, well, look, if we're suffering, at least United are as well. Um, and of course, it was the, the season that their plans were getting railroaded. Fergie was, uh, was hoping to finish the season. We won the Champions League again in his hometown and he brought in Varane and Van Nistelrooy to, to try and conquer Europe once more. Um, but they faltered a little bit on the way, albeit we're, we're still in the title race at, at this point. Um, and they, they put on a second half display, which uh, is very much of, of champions. It, it does have to be said as much as it pains me. So Lee joins me again this week. Um, and he's also brought along a, a work friend of his, uh, Richard, who, uh, who I know as well. It's a great chat, um, especially given Richard uh, lives is from Australia, lives in Australia, uh, to get the perspective of someone who, who didn't see a great deal of football, Premier League football, as we would have done back home at the time. Anyway, enjoy the pod, and um, I'll see you on the other side. Right, OK, so welcome back to the Working Man's Football Club. We've got an absolute corker of a game to cover today. It's definitely a, a Premier League classic. You think about some of these four threes, these seven goal thrillers, this is an eight goal thriller. So we've got Tottenham three, United five, back from, um, was it the 2001-2002 season, Mr Graham? It was, it was. Glenn Hoddle was in charge of Tottenham, I didn't know that. 
yeah, there you go. Obviously, uh, trying to get back into it after um, after his England, uh, after his uh, brief England career. And Richard, uh, you're obviously joining us for the first time. Thanks for jumping on board, mate. Where um, where did where did you watch this game? Thanks for having me. Um, well, I would have watched it. It would have been difficult for me because I think Foxtel had the rights to Premier League from the mid nineties, and um. I think we didn't have Foxtel until the early 2000s, and I don't think we had it at this point in time. So it would have just been if it was on um, one of two games that SBS showed a week. And from my memory, I think it, I think this was actually a game that was on. So it would have been on on late at night here. Yeah. I think I would have sat down with, with, with my dad and watched it. Yep. Yep. I mean, at that time as well, um, United were one of the two sort of main forces in the league um is that how it came across here in australia at a distance and only having a couple of games to watch a week what was the because this is a couple of years after they've won the treble which is a peak really a peak of any club um were they still held in in as high regard because they were starting to have a couple of uh how do i how do i best describe it they're perhaps very strong side still but maybe not as strong as they were a couple of years ago would that be fair to say lee no, I think what you actually mean is domestically they were dominant for about three years early on in the night in the 2000s. Now, they might not have won every game, like every championship, because you have some crack insides like Arsenal around, but they were dominant in lots and lots of games. But Ferguson's ambition at that point, and he was talking about retirement, was to win the European Cup again. And he kept coming unstuck in the European Cup because of the formation that they played, which was a rigid 4-4-2. And as we'll go on to in this game, uh, he bought Sebastian Veron. He did. To take it as into a five-man midfield. And really that, that, that purchase was to dominate in Europe, not domestically. Mm. But you're right, Rodney, we still didn't, we didn't win every single title in the early 2000s, but we had a strong domestic um, team. We used to swap sides. Yeah. Uh, uh, was, I mean, is it fair to say there was perhaps a, a bit of a weakening at the back? You signed a World Cup winner, Laurent Blanc, but I think you actually shipped quite a few goals in this particular season. Larry White. He was probably one of the best centre halves that we got three seasons too late. Yeah, but he, he was probably still good then. And if if this game would have been ten years, fifteen years later, he would have. I I feel like the game slowed down a little bit now because of possession. We were talking about it in the other game. Um. And I think that he would have been he would have been less exposed. But I reckon from my memory on this game, this'll be blood and thunder. And he got exposed like uh, I think for at least three goals. I might be wrong, but yeah, he was a class player though. Well Ferguson generally but, wanted to attack, but he sort of knew when not to. And Richard, what's your um, what's your knowledge, if any, with uh, with Glenn Hoddle, former England manager, as both a player? And as his style, you know, what what would you have known about that Tottenham team at the time? And I, I guess coming into this game, you know, what do you remember of it? What are you expecting to see? 
I'm not I'm not not strong on the Tottenham team at the time, but um, I remember I remember both teams if I, if I can remember the game because I think I do, um, and I think they were both quite attacking from memory. Um, I didn't know much about the manager. I was I was only a, a young lad at the time, so my memory isn't so good of, of him as a manager. Mm. But um, but I'm looking I'm looking forward to rewatching this game and seeing if it does uh, bring back some memories. Well, this game, this game, Martin Tyler has just said. I won't pretend I know this. But just listen, Martin Tyler has just said that this is the last three games Tottenham have played against Man United in the last three seasons. One of them a cup game. I think they've beaten three one. So Tottenham were a bit of a bogey side at this time for United. Mm. And I'm sure you'll remember and agree, it's interesting listening to Richard there, Danny, saying that um, Tottenham were an attacking side. Man United and Tottenham was always an attacking game in my um, my memory. Yeah. They were always they were, they were never great defensively, even though they had some great defensive players. But they were always a glamour side, and I think that goes back to the seventies and sixties. And they were always an attacking side. So obviously, when they came up against the United I know and love, which was the late eighties, early nineties one, there was always it always felt like there was good games, good attacking games. Yeah, and this is probably the pinnacle of that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah. Let's get stuck into it then. You mentioned Veron before. Um, who, who else are you excited to see very quickly before we, we get into it? Uh, me? Yeah, either. Uh, Sullivan. Neil Sullivan. <laughs> who, who David Beckham did from the halfway line for Wimbledon. What about you, Richard? I'm excited to see him pull the ball out the net. Yeah, indeed. Well, I, I did notice... Um, that Sheringham's playing for Tottenham. Yeah. And from memory, this must have been almost the first his first season back after playing for Manu. Is that right, Lee? It was correct. And he was captain. I'm glad you've been mentioned... four years he's been four years at Man United and this is his first game back. And I'm glad you've mentioned okay. that. It's a nice segue before we, we do get stuck into the game because whilst we've got Teddy up front, he's I mean he was such a clever player. Um he's one of these players who um He's not the old-school, brutish English centre-forward or British centre-forward when you think of Duncan Ferguson, Alan Shearer, you know, and even you go back a few years earlier, you know, your Brian Deans and stuff like that. Um, he is a little bit more continental, but sits somewhere between a European striker and a British striker, and he's going to be complemented by big Les Ferdinand. So I'm really excited to see those two in motion. Ferguson bought Sheringham to replace Cantona. That's how much of a classy player Sheringham was in that position. He was a player who could knit midfield into attack, yep. like Cannon and I. Ross. Yeah. Obviously, you could argue he wasn't as successful, but he won the treble, so maybe he was. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he wasn't as influential. But okay. you say he was a classy player, absolutely. Sir Alex Ferguson, arguably the best manager in the world, decides to place. Teddy Sheringham is his new Eric Cantona. Big boots, to, big boots to fill. All right, <laughs> well, let's see how he gets on in this game and um, let's see how the first half goes and then we'll come back shortly to uh, to review. What did I make of it? 
we've had this conversation before. It's strange watching a game from so long ago when you can see players who you know what their careers have been and how their careers have been and how you fondly remember them. And then you watch them in a game and you think, God, he's having a shocker or was he as good as I believed he was? Or, you know, was it rose-tinted glasses? So, obviously, being my first United match that we've watched on this, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch this team out and you... You text before saying that they're in transition, and yeah, definitely, I think so. Yeah, but um, I don't know. There was there's still a lot of potential. I think I think players wise, there was some amazing players in this team, but it never gelled as a team. Yeah, maybe not. And Arsenal was so strong at the time. Richard, I yeah. always think when I see the same person every day, I can't tell whether they put on weight, lose weight, the hairstyle changes, and it's a bit like that watching football for me. Uh, it's hard to notice the subtle differences between the teams when you watch them week in, week out. But uh, I guess you con- how you've consumed football here in Australia might be um, a little bit less in volume than we have. The football that you watch today that you probably stream versus Optus versus what we're watching here, how big's the gap for you? Oh, massive. It seems to be played, for me, at a different pace. I don't know. The the play, they don't seem to move as fast as they do in today's football. It's not necessarily a bad thing because it's actually quite enjoyable to watch a game where they knock it around slowly and wait for everyone to move. But in um, if you watch it today, it it certainly gets. I, I feel like the ball gets pushed through quicker mm. than it than it is, especially in this game. But I think that Poye in this game is just he's he seems to be. Uh, uh, controlling it and being very uh, 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 playing a massive part in, in the reason that they're up by three. I wrote down <laughs> Poye man of the match for Star involved in two goals. He slotted Ferdinand in, who ran off Blanc. Blanc looked like his 46 year old self at that point, <laughs> and he also put in that sublime cross. Which I'm keep waiting for. Since the second game, I've waited for Beckham to put in a sublime cross, and it's another player who's putting in a cross that I would associate with David Beckham. Indeed. Well, I think that is a, a bit of the difference in the first half. You're obviously missing Roy Keane, you're missing Ryan Giggs, and he would have been an outlet to the the faster United we were used to at the time. Um, Keane really was United's metronome, and he, he might not have always been um, uh, the the the, the chance creator, but of course Veron is a bit more of an out-and-out attacking player and I, I'm, I'm observing Veron and while he's trying to play a bit of a quarterback role, he's always trying to thread the ball forward and sometimes he loses it a little bit and as the as the half wears on, he starts to put his foot on it a little bit more but I think when he does do that, he slows United down. Was that a problem for Veron in the United team at the time, Lee, that he wanted to go a bit slower as Rooney did towards the end of his career and it slowed United down from being the United that the fans love to, to see? I think so, yeah. I, I wrote down first 10 minutes, two good, good little one-twos and stuff with the United centre midfields. And what I meant by that is Veron Skulls, who's not had a great game, and um, but we're doing lots of little intricate passing. You, I didn't feel like watching that then Spurs were getting close to him and then there was a mistake. 
um, when we talked about that. But yeah, I think Veron, it's interesting, you're right. The metronome was, uh, what's it called? It was the Irishman. Keno. Keen. And I think, ironically, if you watch in about another six or seven years, and towards the end of his career, that's what Scholes does. Mm. And that's how Scholes is fondly remembered as such a great player. And all these Barcelona players that came after that were like, watch this guy, how he controls the game, how he not doesn't lose the ball, how he knocks it forward and back. I think you're right. I think what Veron was doing there, and don't forget, it's only his first couple of games in, he was looking for the Hollywood ball all the time. Yeah. So, it, But you can see his class. You can see all three of them are class. It's, it's a weird game to watch. I know the result. I know how good these individual players are. And also, though, watching this Tottenham side, I don't think they played that well. But then Poye has been when he's been on the when he's been able to get on the ball and stuff. He's been really dangerous. Why? Why I said man of the match at the start. Um, Ferdinand has done what Ferdinand did for years, and he's given the two centre halves torrid time, like just not resting. And they took the goals really well. Yeah, I mean, the forwards definitely keep him busy and Andy Cole drops in quite a bit and he's not quite gelling with Van Nistelrooy and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But chances are pretty limited, aren't they? What what makes Spurs dangerous is probably Ziger and his set pieces, isn't it? Mm. What did you think, um, Richard? Because you said, when we were chatting before, you said, shut up and watching the game, I'm enjoying it. What did you particularly enjoy? I just enjoyed... I actually enjoyed watching the watching the the players that I remembered from being when I was what 12 13 watching I used to I used to love Teddy Sheringham I used to love um uh Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Andy Cole I liked Dwight York when Dwight York and Andy Cole were playing together and you can see in this game it's like you said Ruben Destroy this is proof I'm wrong but I think this is his first season with you guys yeah and you can tell that because he's just not him and Andy Cole, they kind of keep, especially when the ball was coming up down the middle, they were both going, like, they were encroaching on each other's space. Yeah. So the, the, the outlet pass wasn't there for them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, think yeah. I, was, I, I read up about Van Nistelrooy before this game. He, this was his first season as a United player. He should have been his second season, but he'd been injured for a full season. Of course. Um Scored on his debut, so he'd had a good start to his United career, but this isn't one of his better games. And he'd just come off the back of scoring, I think, one or two against Deportivo, and we were 2-0 up and we lost. Yeah. And that was the game before this. So there's a lot of, Danny said it before, there's a lot of transition around this time. And they weren't all just gelling. Great players, but they haven't played enough together. And I don't know if they do play enough together, because Veron doesn't last... I don't think he'd last more than one season, does he? I think Can't it was a little bit longer before Chelsea. Maybe maybe something to check as we watch the second half. But yeah, it's, it, it is a little bit... Um, it's tentative for the first 20 minutes or so. And I think for the whole half, someone you want to look to for creativity is, is, is Skulls. And he's on the periphery of the game for me. And it allows the Spurs midfield eventually to get a grip of the game. Um, it's a decent bit of play that wins a set piece that leads to the corner. And it's Dean Richards that separates the teams with the opening goal with the header. And Glenn Oddle does say in his programme notes, apparently in this game, I, I bought him because he's got a goal in him. And um, obviously that, 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 that rang true. Um, but the second goal, 
the, the space that Ferdinand's afforded. I mean, you said on the messaging, Lee, he was he was good in the air, but I think we forget that he had that in the locker. He could nail a ball into the bottom corner, couldn't he? I mean, it was something that he used to do a lot for, for QPR. Um, although he signed as a target man, often, um, he, there's a bit more to him, isn't there? Yeah, he was um, he was on United's radar for a long time at QPR. And I think, did he go to Newcastle and then to Tottenham? This I think that's is... right. I think that's right, yeah. Younger and good at top at Newcastle. Um, he was a class. I, I, I used to love Les Ferdinand, to be honest. I used to think he was a great player and I always wanted him to play for Man United. And that's even with all the star strikers we've had. Mm. Um, especially around that that period of time, the late 90s and stuff, when you could still rough up a centre-half. And, you know, but he was, he was that, He's the archetypal big man with a good touch. Yeah. <laughs> He's great, in the, but he was actually really good on the floor. And him and Sheringham, unlike, and, and did you hear Tilsley mention it after about 10 seconds, Cole and, um, it might have been before the game, but Cole and Sheringham are, are here at the moment and the England manager, which thinks Ericsson, yeah, it must be because we watched the Arsenal, uh, the finger game, yeah, the Australia again, and Owen's injured, and he's thinking about he's looking at those two, and Tilsley says, "Oh, these two never, you know, they're that famous. They never got on. They were never friends mm. on the pitch." But Ferdinand and Sheringham were really good on and off the pitch, apparently together. Yeah, I yep. just have a ding. That mean I've got to shut up. No, no, I guess we'll, we'll move on. Well, the, the pick of the goals before we do move on to watch the second half is the third because there's about 10 passes strung together. The Olays start, which to be doing Olays against United is, you know, you don't get to do that very often. But just how they, the one touch in the midfield, just while they work out what they're doing before they spread the ball round, like sometimes the Premier League is very fast and very frantic and there's a lot of pinball in this and there's a lot of seeding of possession I find I think what, what I think what you were trying to get at before, Richard, and correct me if I'm wrong now, is is sometimes the Premier League can feel um, can feel a little bit at times quicker because the touch is better, the players are fitter, but now players are more disciplined about keeping the ball and slowing it down, and that discipline maybe wasn't there as much 15, 20 years ago. But just before the build up, they ping it around in the centre circle. It's great to watch, isn't it, before the ball goes out wide? No. <laughs> because we talked about Ziger, I mean, he's, he he crosses one in um, the opener, um, and in between that, um, they score the second. You see Tottenham play with more freedom. Poye has a go; he screams it over the bar. And for me, it's going to be interesting to see in the second half whether Hoddle's calmed them down in the dressing room, or they still go and play with that confidence, and it leaves holes at the back for which they get exploited, and that's where the... the, the, the All the that time is not good. There we go. All right, <laughs> shall, we, shall we get into the second half then? Yeah, let's do it. Right, so talk about the cliche, a game of two halves. I think that was it, if, uh, if ever there was an example of it. Richard, what do you think uh, What do you think Glenn Oddle said to his players at halftime? An interesting one, because I actually think that kind of situation is one of the worst for, for managers. Because what do you say? They're, they're, they've played really well. They're 3-0 up. You're, kind of, you're telling them to do what, they, you know, what they've been doing and keep pushing. But, you know, they're playing a Manchester side with all these experienced players that are well-known for, 
coming back from middle from places they really shouldn't. So, I I, I think he would have he would have told them to keep he would would have told them to keep playing the way they're playing, um, and to to uh, maybe watch like watch Beckham and and um, Veron as they came probably tried to push and come into the game. The guys wide, you knew that they were going to push wide more like they did with Sylvester and. Um, uh, Neville, they were both pushing wide, and I think that was they were going to do that because they were going to full on attack. Because that's all you can do when you're three 0 down. Why not? I mean, you've got um, nothing to lose. You might as well throw the kitchen sink at it. I mean, football doesn't have timeouts, but at three two down, the, the game plan obviously needs to change. You know, what do you think? Because it looked like they were asleep at the wheel. Then Spurs, Hoddle would have said to his players at three two down if he could have brought them off the pitch on the hour mark. Oh, I think he would have just wanted to, wanted them to regroup. I think it, in, that they were letting they were letting Manchester United at that point spread too wide. Neville Neville and Beckham were just having fun with them on that right hand side. Neville was cross getting balls in, and that you know the first well the first three goals were all crosses in. So they definitely would have been wanting to try and counter their their rush from the wings. Yeah, well, which I think end. I think they may have tried because the next two goals were kind of scored internally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it shows you how weak both of the teams were defensively that I think five out of the eight goals are set pieces. First three to United, mm-hmm. two, 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 of them for, two of them for Spurs. So Andy Cole gets us, uh, gets us on our way, Lee. What did you make of the, uh, the first goal in the comeback? Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your question to Richard because I was quiet then, but I had a couple of points to make. One, I would have thought he'd have said, keep it tight for the first 10, 15 minutes, lads, of the second half, North Man United, the light, they'll come back into it. But that game plan went out the window after three minutes. Yeah. And the cross, it was absolute classic. We said it in the last um, game, Danny. It's absolutely classic Beckham and Neville mm. uh, up up the wing play, and Cole was just uh, it was just Andy Cole. He scores goals. That was it was such a it was such a clinical finish, and it was such a classic Man United goal of that era. Yep, with Beckham goals, so Beckham's goals. Sorry, Beckham and uh, Neville, classic overlap. It was great. It was, and I obviously knew what the score was, and it's twenty odd years ago. And I still got really excited about it when I saw it. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, my goal." I think it, but, um, it pains me to say it, but you knew at least one goal was in him, and it was how quickly they could score. But you just always sensed with United, and it pains me to say it as a big City fan. They they always felt like a team. They always felt. United, they always felt together. They always felt like they were rowing in the same direction, and they just had to pick that direction and the style of play they were going to play, and then get on with it. Um, and and with this game, they obviously spot that there's some defensive frailties. They just need to get into the last third a bit more often, and 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 expose those. Um, but but the the deficit is um, is reduced again when the World Cup winner, forty six year old veteran, as you pointed out. Larry White scores from a corner. Laurent Blanc now. I was reading up on Blanc. It's his only Premier League goal for United. And the commentator does say, in the coverage I was watching at least, 
he's always been a goal-scoring defender wherever he goes. I think he scores four in his United career, three in the Champions League and one in the league. Now, you will have seen him live a lot more than, than we will have done. Did he get on the end of corners often and he missed, he was saved? What was his prowess in the box like from set pieces? Because four goals doesn't doesn't say prolific to me. Honestly, I think he was a centre-half. He was a tall lad, obviously, as a centre-half. He was good in the air. But, and I joke about it, and I don't actually know how old he was. He was classy. But he was, man, he was a pensioner when he came and played for us. So by the second half of that season, he was knackered. He wasn't coming up. So he probably wasn't as prolific in their box. Yeah. But you can see it in, in this game how he grows into... He's not rattled, even with like when we were talking about Ferdinand, how he was bullying him in the first half. But he probably wasn't bullying him in the first half, not him in particular. It's mm. just like what you said there. They hadn't picked their style in that first half. They hadn't picked what they were doing. It was like it was the first game of the season and there was, these were all new players. But it wasn't that really, was it? You had, like you said before, you had no keen in that midfield. Yeah. Okay, the back four was a pretty established one, but actually it was the first game Tilsley said that Johnson and Blanc had played together. So obviously there was going to have to be a bit of time for them two to gel. But I wrote down 58 minutes, Spurs' head's gone. And I enjoyed watching Stefan Freud for that second half. Because I also wrote down... There's at least, and, and I enjoyed this, right? And I don't know what you feel about this, Richard, but I'd like to know. But I, but the game, and it was, it was peeing it down. The game was uh, a man's game, I'd say. Being an, being an old uh, football hag of the old, oh, let's get in them, get in them. Because there were so many tackles, which in this game, it would have been 5-3 in the amount of players left on the pitch. <laughs> Some of them. Went in. And the way Freud, at the end, epitomised this, he got a yellow card at the end of that game in the 94th minute or something. And I was like, is that That's his second? <laughs> his first yellow card. How did he manage to get 94 minutes of it only getting one yellow card? And that is with Jeff Winter. I mean, by the 70-minute mark, Jeff Winter's handing out cards like a prefect's handing out Christmas cards at school. You know, he's, di- he's dishing them out left, right and centre. But I agree with you. As, as the game starts to slip away from Spurs, you've got to feel for, for Freund a little bit that he is um, he's wearing his heart on his sleeve and he's trying to stay in the game. But it's just sort of falling apart around him. Poyer's a bit quieter. Anderton sort of goes hiding a little bit and it doesn't matter what how tough Ferdinand is, we, you just can't get the ball to him because they can't get on the ball anymore. Um, of course, yep. the, the equaliser goes in and Rude really comes into his own. Great ball from Sylvester, wasn't it? Oh, he played. Sylvester, I've forgotten about how good a player he was. He's a good young player um, and he was a solid citizen. But God, in this game, when he came on, he made such a difference. And he was he was taken over. I mean, he was injured, Irwin. He was taken over from Dennis Irwin, who, was it you, Richard, said you didn't realise how sort of tough Dennis Irwin was, how gnarly he was. But he was. He was, he was a 7 out of 10 uh, player, Dennis Irwin. So he was coming on the pitch. He was, he was young 
and he had a point to prove. But his touch and his crosses for did he get involved in two goals? Sure he did. Sure he did. But his cross for um Van Nistelrooy's. Yeah, Van Nistelrooy's yeah, was cracking. Can't miss almost. I mean, Van Nistelrooy used to make goals like that look like they were unmissable because his movement and the position that he would get into to meet the ball, he never had to contort himself much in order to, to, to get his wrap his head around the ball and tuck it into the corner. He always made the right run and he always went to the place where it was just so easy for the, for the full-back or the winger to put the ball into that space. And it just made it look so simple and I really underappreciated it. And it frustrated me as a teenager when City was so weak watching Van Nistelrooy because I'd see him put the ball in the back of the net from six yards out. I think anyone could do that. And it's like they used to say about Henrik Larsson in Scotland, anyone can score 50 goals a season. Well, the fact is, nobody does and only Henrik Larsson does. There's only Van Nistelrooy that was scoring 30 goals a season. Even if they were there, he was putting himself in the place. So it's a bit like Michael Jackson's music for me. It took me about 10 years after to realise how good it was. And I'll humbly admit how good it was and, and, and he is. Now, before we get into the last couple of goals, I want to ask you in a word. I think the pick of the Tottenham goals is the last one. It's a great team move. It's great football. It'd it, it stand the test of time, and if you saw that goal today, it'd be a great one. Veron's is fantastic technique. Beckham's is is just time stands still. It's a bit like uh, it's a bit like Shearer's against Holland in Euro '96. In a word, what, what, before we get into these last two goals, I would say I think it's fair to say the non-headed goals; those three are the best. Which is your favourite out of those three, Richard? Oh, I I do like the um the the like the Beckham one, the last one. I, I I've always been a big fan of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, so I like the little step over and flick to go round him and cut it back. Yeah, it was then just the, the poise of ease of Beckham to put that in. He never looked like he was missing it. Yeah, he, time he makes time. He buys time with a great first touch, doesn't he? And then he the does. Net, the net obviously, the net obviously bolts. Would you concur, Lee? I, I would. It's interesting you're talking about a first touch, right? It took. We were talk. We were watching that game, and it took me like the second half to realise the conditions they were playing in. Obviously, the pitch is one before, and I've never played for a pitch like that. But the conditions we were playing in were not good conditions for. They were good for passing and moving. If you were a good player, a good touch, and it showed in the second half how good a touch Beckham had. He was pinging balls all over the place. How good a touch Veron had. Uh, and it was just like, it was a joy to watch. It was, uh, yeah, so I think I think Beckham's last goal, or fifth goal, yeah, it was, it was time stood still. And I remember that goal like I watched it yesterday. I, I could see it coming again before it came. And I was like, oh, this is the one where he just he sits inside. He's, he scored probably three goals. His next goal which isn't in an England shirt, but it is at Old Trafford. It's also an iconic Beckham goal. Big week for him. And then, yeah. And then his first goal, which is the goal against, oh no, it's four, I think. Oh, bear with me. His first goal was the goal against Sullivan again, but Wim, against Wimbledon, where he... Halfway did. And then the last one that I would say that was another David Beckham classic is in the Arsenal... Um, 1999 game, and it's in the it's in the first half of the second game, and he hits it like that, like he's done there in that one where he cuts across it, but he's further out. Yeah, 
he's like he's like what's it eighteen? He's about twenty five yards out, I think. Yeah, from memory. I think that's oh, the thing. Yeah. He um, he can put it on a pinhead when he, he wants to, and if you give him the time. Yeah, I think he was at the height of his. He was at the height of his. Like he was, he was the England captain, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the. Uh, he was the United captain in that one, and he was he was class. I think it's interesting. You said it might take him a while to get into a game, but when he got into it, and he was on it, ran it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, a quick word on Verons before we wrap up. I mean, that is a nice goal, and it's good to see him get on the score sheet because he had about seven hundred shots. So it's about time he, he made the net bulge with uh, with one of them. But it was good to see because he was involved. And I think in the second half, he adapted the way he needed to play. He slowed things down and he got the ball wide rather than just trying to nail it through the middle. As you pointed out in the first half, Richard, he was trying to hit two people occupying the same space. And I think getting the ball wider allowed, keeping man then three forwards on for the second half um, and a little bit of the first. With the ball going wide, they could pick and choose the runs a little bit more. And then he obviously pays off because Solskjaer gets in the channels, finds Beckham, uh, Van Nistelrooy between the centre-halves and scores. Um, the strikers are able to move around a little bit more and create the space for Veron to cut into and score. So um, I think in the end he adapted a little bit and um, he, he was he was, he was was key even if he played um, probably a supporting role um, in the turnaround in the end. But yeah, absolute classic match and um, some classic commentary as well as I heard towards the end of the game. Um they performed more like champions after performing more like chumps in the first half. Blunt, brutal, honest commentary there, but I think it's fair to say that sums up United across the two halves. And um, as they also pointed out as well, that's just an example of why they were champions so often. Yeah, it was a, it was a good game to relive. can't argue with what Lee said at the end there it was a great Premier League football match to relive well thanks again for joining us and looking forward to doing another episode through next week um, got a couple of mates joining us who I've worked with here in Australia one of them uh, was actually responsible for bringing me over and um, another one I work quite closely with as well moved on in terms of the jobs now but, but still in touch with them as mates and um, great characters and really looking forward to having them on, having them on next week to talk about um, a Liverpool and Chelsea uh, classic match which was uh, a bit of a sliding doors moment for Chelsea I'm, I'm sure you can guess which one it is but yeah going to be nice to go back through that and uh, relive it nonetheless well anyway uh, thanks to Lee and thanks to Richard for, for joining us really appreciate their time um, in what's probably a busy time for them at work at the moment um, and just want to finish up with a couple of credits before we do and say goodbye so this was recorded at my home in Elwood, Melbourne, and that's on the lands, the traditional lands of the Boone Wurrung Foundation, whom we pay our respects. And our title music, which will play us out in a moment, is a jingle from artist Kevin McLeod. Thanks once more for coming along, and we'll hope to catch you next week. Take care.